0: The reading this morning is taken from 1st Timothy, chapter 1, the whole chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed Lord, which he entrusted to me. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Alice, for praying. Thanks, Jane, for reading. And if you like uh, um, this sheet, uh, it's got our reading um, at the back. Um, You can pick one up um, at the back. But We're going to go through 1 Timothy. Um, together. But let's pray that God will use this time to speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that it's living and active. And Lord, we thank you uh, that we get to come and be served by you. Lord, we humbly ask that you would feed us with the richness of your word, that we might uh, receive your grace and we might uh, respond in praise and giving our lives as living sacrifice. To you in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. As you know, you might uh, you might know that last week I wasn't here because I was filling in for Alex at St. Andrews, and after the service, I mean they make you work hard 9: 30, 11 four services, uh, but after one service, eleven thirty 30 service, a student came up um, to me, and I had a chit chat. He was a Muslim um, student. And we had a short conversation, but he asked great questions, and one of the questions that he asked was, Pastor, there's so many churches out there, now, which church? I mean, how can I, if I wanted to go to a church, how can I choose a church? Which kind of a church should I go to? I thought it was a great question. Maybe there's a question that you've been asking yourself as you've been exploring different churches. I know that many of our church members who have gone overseas, they're asking this question as well. What kind of a church should I? look for. But put it differently, put it this way, what kind of a church should we be as Shateen Church? What kind of church does God want us to be? And uh, First Timothy is a great book to go to to answer this question because it was written to correct the church that was going astray. And uh, First Timothy chapter 1 is a great place to go to because it shows us what is at the core of our faith. And at the core of our faith is this, that we don't do something new, that we don't invent new things. But the core of our faith is to hold on to the message that's been received, the faith that has been given and entrusted to us. Hold on to this message and keep going. And if you go, well, what are we supposed to hold on? Well, the rest of the book is about this. But in chapter 1, it tells us at the very center the first thing that we need to hold on is God's grace. That we are sinners, saved by the amazing love and grace of Jesus. But as we talk about the grace of Jesus, we also need to talk about where that grace and faith leads to, which is acts of love. So we'll go through this um, together. Although the church in Ephesus was planted by the Apostle Paul himself. They were taught by the best of the best for many years. Well, after he left, they started to drift away from the faith. And Paul does actually warn about this in Acts chapter 20 to the elders of Ephesus. He says, wolves will come into the flock. The wolves will come, and they did. Well, um, and uh, uh, Timothy then is sent Uh, the true son in the faith, Uh, his protege, uh, Paul's protege, Timothy, is sent to Ephesus to correct the course of this church. Well, what were these false teachers teaching? We'll we'll find out more about these things. But verse 3 tells us that he calls it what it is. These are false doctrines, false doctrines. They seem to be also teaching from more kind of obscure parts of the Bible. Maybe parts from Genesis that sounds kind of like myths. Uh, Many genealogies that are there. They're kind of filling in the details. Actually, there's evidence that people like that they were doing this in Judaism. Um, a book like Book of Jubilee, for example, written in the uh, first century BC, does exactly that. They were interested in these details that the Bible actually doesn't talk about very much, and they were filling out the details and, 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 and emphasizing those things. And the church was drifting from what Paul taught to these things that others uh, were teaching then. And you can imagine how this can happen, can't you? I mean, think about our teenagers in Shatin Church, people who grow up in the church, people who grow, uh, grow up, maybe you can go to ICS, they know the basics, don't they? They are drilled with the basics every day. They grow up within. You might think, you know, as they grow up, these teenagers think, well, maybe the key to growing in the faith is some new experience, some new teaching, some exciting teaching that I haven't heard before. And this might happen with the older Christians, Christians who have been Christians for a long time. People who kind of think, well, I've heard this before, but uh, you know, maybe new technique, new meditation technique, or new, some spiritual practice, or once again, obscure parts of the Bible that it's not really usually taught. Maybe uh, if I hear from this, if I go deep, that's what it means for me to grow in spiritual depth into maturity, uh, that, that it's in the details, we might say. But um, we're prone to that, aren't we? Although the Bible talk, doesn't talk actually that much about demons or angels, some people's ministries are based and centered around this. And they major in the minors. And although, think, uh, think like the end times. I mean, the end times is actually outlined in broad strokes in the gospel. It is mentioned in Revelation, of course, but then people get into the weeds, to the details of this, and they fill out the details and think that that's where the real substance is. That's where uh, how I'm going to really grow in the faith. Well, look, what Paul says, these things lead to. Verse 4, controversial speculation, he says distraction from the actual work of God that's given to you um, uh, through faith. These are, verse 6, meaningless talks, he says. In fact, it's worse. At the end of the chapter, in chapter 1, verse 20, these false teachers are named, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul says they're handed over to Satan. Which means, which probably means that they were excommunicated. They were disciplined, um, as outlined in Matthew 18, disciplined and kicked out of the church so that they would see the seriousness of what they've done and repent and come back to the church. This is serious business. You know, doctors go through many, many years of training, and we take their training really seriously. Why? Because life and death is on the line. How about spiritual life? How about the doctrines? We often treat as inconsequential. What we believe, often people think, doesn't really matter. Church, that cannot be our attitude because doctrine is matter of life and death, matter of eternal life and eternal death. And Paul says the battle is not to, to new, do new things, um, to, but to hold on. I mean, he describes it as a battle, doesn't he? In verse 19. So that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. How do we fight this battle well? By holding on to the faith that you have received. Holding on to the stuff that Paul taught the Ephesians. Holding on to the things that we see in the scripture. The battle, the fight is in holding on to the tradition, to the orthodoxy in American football. A fumble is when uh, the ball gets kicked out or uh, tossed out and it's an all-out scramble to get the ball. Uh, Fumble, and I don't know where I've seen this. I've seen it in movies or something. The coach tells this rookie uh, running back who's prone to fumbling the ball, you know, hold on to this ball all day, all this, all week, and he tells all the teammates, you can, you can, you know, it, it, it can be in the middle of a lecture, it can be in when he's eating or whatever. You try to steal the ball, and his mission is to just. Hold on to the ball and not fumble it. Hold on and not miss it throughout the whole week. Church, picture that as our mission. Hold on to the faith. Hold on to the faith that I've given you. In verse 11, the language is the gospel that's entrusted to you. The faith that I have given you, hold on to it verse 19, because the, bat, the devil, devil's mission is try to knock it out, <laughs> try to entice us with maybe new, they say, ex- or exciting things. But what gives us life, what leads us to eternal life, an abundant life, life that's worth living, are the things that have, that have already been given to us. We are to, this is why we repeat the creeds every week. I mean, we think sometimes it's, why do we do this? But part of the reason why is for us to be reminded of the basics. So that this is the message, that we know this is the message that gives us life. So we can identify false message when it comes into our midst. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But actually, verse 19 says, hold on to the faith. But there is a bit more to that. There is a second half of that. And also a good conscience. A good conscience. There are two ways of shipwrecking your faith, Paul says here. By being enticed to these new and exciting things. That's not what I've given you. But the second is to, uh, to go against your conscience. To do the wrong things to live immoral lives. Think about it this way. Which comes first? Doubt or immoral living? What do you think? Doubt or immoral living? For many people, it's immoral living when they are, start sleeping with their girlfriends or boyfriends, or when they get used to uh, like being drunk all the time. I mean, we see this in university all the time. The, the kids who go to university and they start living in a different way that's not really pleasing to God. And at some point, that dissonance sets in. And, you know, our hearts are deceitful above all things. We will justify our actions. We will say, actually, maybe I don't really believe in this, Maybe this isn't true because the cost of living, leaving the life that we live is difficult. When we allow our sin to be, uh, uh, to be unconfessed and unrepented, as John Stott says in his commentary, uh, we, our faith, will not survive. And as great reformer John Calvin put it, a bad conscience is mother of heresies mother of all heresies, hold on to the faith and a good conscience. Friends, Christianity has been around for a while. Throughout centuries, throughout different cultures, it's remained relevant. It's, not, it's remained relevant not, because, not by adapting to new all the new trends and new, uh, to all the new researches. It remained relevant by holding on to the faith that God has given us. Because these basic, in these basic truths is life. Hold on. Hold on to this way of life. Which begs the question, well, what is the core belief that we are to hold on to? What are the important things that we ought to know about? Well, the more, most important thing is Grace. Grace. We've heard that false teaching led to controversial speculations, meaningless talks that stand in the way of God's work. But verse 15, Paul gives us a, trusty, a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The core of our faith is a rescue story Jesus came to rescue sinners. At the core of our faith is grace of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is my story, verse 13. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Lucas Lucas in Resurrection Church describes Paul as as a, a pest control. Pest control. Christians were the pests. And he was out there to uh, kill all the pests, to get rid of all the ki- pests. And on the way of doing that to Damas- Damascus, God spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? God was gracious to him. Verse 14, grace was, pour- grace was poured out abundantly. You know, this word in in Greek only occurs once in the New Testament, and it doesn't really occur anywhere else because he made it up. Poured out abundantly. It's super abundantly, super abundantly. Why? To describe what God has done for him. When he was these bad things, God called him out of that darkness, opened his eyes, and gave him that, poured out that abundant grace and made him an apostle in the church. God is gracious, unbelievably gracious to him. Why did God rescue him? To make him an example of his amazing grace. Paul did not do anything to deserve God's grace. Paul did everything to stand in the way of that grace, and yet God saved him so that God can say none of us are out of his reach. All of us can be saved by his amazing grace. Friends, this undeserved gift for sinners given freely through Jesus Uh, is at the heart of our faith. There are some people who believe that the church, that the core of the church should be maybe a political movement. Um, Republican or Democrat, a blue-yellow conservative liberal or whatever it is. They want to put that at the center. Politics is important, but that's not why We're here as church. There are those who say Christianity is all about bringing justice, equality, and peace to the world. And certainly Christians believe in the dignity of all people. And we should stand up for justice as God is just. But that is not, that should should not be the core of what we do as church. There are those who say Jesus is teaching. Well, they're, they're, they're at the core of what we do, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to forgive, and all those things. That's, that should be at the center of Christianity. Those are all important things, and as we'll see shortly, they are important, but they're not the seed. They're the fruit. They're the fruit that comes out of this message that Christ came to save sinners. That through grace of Jesus, we become new people who live differently because of Jesus. And that's why Paul can help, as he mentions this, can help but sing his praise. Did you see how he burst out in what we call doxology in, 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 in verse 17? Now to the king, immoral, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You know, this is the reason why Christianity is a singing religion. If you go to a mosque, people don't sing like we do here. If you go to a Buddhist monastery, people don't sing like we do here. Why do we sing? Not We don't sing because God gave us a, 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 um, more rules to follow. Why do we sing? We sing because we're saved. God has given us this amazing gift of grace. He has forgiven us and made us, made us a new people of God. That's why we sing. That's why Christianity is a singing religion. And church, I want you to know that Shatin Church, in some ways, will always be slightly boring, <laughs> because we won't be focusing on these new and exciting things. There are times when we go through peripheries of the Bible as we go through all of the Bible. But what we will keep at the center of our ministry is this, that we're sinners saved by God's grace. We'll put that at the center of our preaching ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, men's or uh, women's or whatever. That is at the center of what we do. And let me tell you, abundant life, life that's worth living, that's not, uh, that doesn't come about by going through all the periphery things, all these little details out there. Abundant life, a life that's worth living, life that is joyful, comes when we digest this message When this message comes to our hearts and it changes the way we see ourselves, the world, the church, one another, our workplace, our family, and all of that, when the gospel gets seeped in, it draws us in deeper relationship with Jesus. It, It helps us to remain in Jesus. As John says, grace at the center. That's what we are about. But as we talk about Grace at the center. Of course, we then also need to talk about the law a bit because we're also easily led astray in this matter too. Some churches talk so much about grace, but never about godly living holiness, and following Jesus, the law, at the expense of the law. Some churches, I've heard that uh, some of you have come from local churches, and I've heard this um, uh, from, uh, from some of you, that uh, the local churches emphasize the law so much, right behavior so much, at the expense of grace. The message of grace gets drowned out. We need to, we need to talk about grace and its relationship with faith, which is exactly what Paul does. Because these false teachers pretend to be the teachers of the law, verse 7. Verse 8 through 11 is about the relationship between the law and faith. What is the function of the law? Well, it says it's not really for the righteous. Righteous people, people who are not breaking the law, well, they don't really need the law because they are already doing the right things. They're living in the right way. But those who keep on breaking the law, well, they need to be confronted with God's standard. Some standard that says, that is not right. That is wrong. And Paul goes on to list some of them in verses 9 and 10. Murder, sexual immorality, slave trading, lying, among others. And they're broadly uh, from the second half of uh, the Ten Commandments. We need them because we break them, and I don't know if you notice, but we break different ones uh, depending on different culture and different time. For example, in the 18th century, it would have been taken for granted that sexual immorality, the uh, practicing of homosexuality, is bad. This was not in discussion. And yet, slave trading, which is mentioned here, would have been a hot topic. That is some, That was controversial. And for this law, God's law, confronted them at that time. But how about us? We think slave trading, that's of course bad. Slave trading is the worst form of stealing, isn't it? Because it's stealing of a man of, or a woman who's made in the image of God and selling them for profit. How bad is that? We can all agree that slave trading is bad. But sexual immorality... Practicing of homosexuality. Well, that's controversial these days, isn't it? When we say consent is all that matters. God says no. He has a design for sexuality. Consent should be the minimum, it's not the maximum thing. Uh, God has designed for sexuality and we need to know, we need to be confronted with God's standards because at different age, at different time, we will continue to challenge God's law and that's why they're there. For the lawbreakers, for when we break these laws, to be confronted with God's timeless truths and his standards. A couple of years ago, I met with someone uh, who was kind of disgruntled um, with uh, their pastor. Uh, this person was saying that this, pastor, this new pastor came and uh, uh, started to confront uh, uh, two couples who were actually kind of leaders in the church who were living together out of wedlock. They weren't married, but they were living together. And this new pastor came and started to talk to them and actually it tried to gently conf- uh, confront them. And later on, they weren't repenting. And so uh, this, was bringing up, uh, bringing, uh, this was coming to the church. And, and, and this person was really disgruntled about that and said, well, this is puritanical, isn't it? And, and this person turned to me and said, well, you know, isn't the law, didn't Jesus abolish the law? Aren't we under the law of Christ? And the law of Christ says love is all we need. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Of course, in the end, um, of course, uh, 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 yes and no, because God's love, love is the goal, but God's love directs and guides. Uh, God's law convicts of our hearts of sin. God's love instructs us to live in the right way. This is how John Stott um, puts it. Thus, belief and behavior, conviction and conscience, the intellectual and the moral are closely linked because God's truth contains ethical demands. Belief and behavior, conviction, conscience, intellectual and the moral go together. God's love has content. It directs and guides our conscience. But of course, I should say, in the end, it is love. That is the goal. And love isn't another set of law. The goal of Christianity is not giving you another set of law that you should follow, that you should tick, you know, and then feel good about yourself for having done them. Because love goes way beyond the law, doesn't it? Law goes way beyond we don't, we're not just content, you know, um, uh, keeping the Sabbath holy. We're not just content not murdering or not lying or uh, uh, these things. Love compels us to do much more. Love compels us to honor our parents. Uh, love compels us to go and sit and listen to people who are struggling. You to go visit um, the, 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 the needy to be generous uh, uh, towards those who are needy. Uh, I've seen many of you do this. Uh, to give self-sacrificially, that's not fulfilling the law. That's not ticking boxes. It's love compelling us to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. That is the goal. And our faith should do that, lead us to uh, those actions. And Jesus also drew this connection, didn't he? Um, Jesus in Gospel of Luke talks about the, this widow who's been forgiven. Therefore, I tell you, her many, her many sins have been forgiven, a prostitute who's been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been give, forgiven little loves little. You know, if you have experienced God's grace, if you have forgiven much, you will love much. You will love God much. You'll love others much. Faith, Grace will lead to love. Church, is that your faith? Last three years in Shatin Church has been difficult. Have been difficult in many ways. It's been changing. We've lost many people through for political turmoil, uh, COVID. The numbers has gone down. The giving has gone down. Staffing change has happened. I know. Um, I don't know if you feel it, but we are at a different stage as a church. So let's go back to the basics. I've been thinking about what are the basics? What are the things that we need to go back as a church? Well, these are the basics, aren't they? The kind, we, need, we, need, we need to be a church that holds on to the faith that we received, to the Bible, to the faith that's given us uh, rebirth and guarded. We need to be a church that lives it out. We need to be a church that puts grace of Jesus at the center. But also, as we preach God's grace, to point people to uh, this amazing love, that, uh, that, that, that amazing grace that moves us into acts of service, acts of love. And may God bless us today that he will make us a church like that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are a people who are saved by your amazing grace. And we pray that we'll be a church that always has your grace at the forefront Of our minds. And Lord, help us as we think about your grace. Would your grace overwhelm our hearts and our minds, our lives, uh, that it will move us to acts of service, acts of love, loving you and loving one another? And in these coming weeks, help us to take what you have taught very seriously, these doctrines that you've given us very seriously, that we might live a life that is truly abundant, that truly leads uh, to eternal life.
0: We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.